Turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Starting in verse 12. reading through verse 20, the end of the chapter. This is the word of the Lord. Listen carefully as I read. I beg you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where, then, is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out in order that you may seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. But I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Amen. Pray with me. O Lord, Aid us, we ask and pray. Aid me as I seek to proclaim uh, your precious truth uh, and do so in weakness. Please aid all of us who are listening in this room and even remotely that you would help us, Lord, to hear not a man, but to hear the words of Christ. And would you please... Transform us through this means of saving and sanctifying grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Children, um, <clears throat> have you ever uh, been, I know you have because this happens to all of us, been in a situation, a, a particular day when you were had troubles making up your mind about something? You just kind of were, kind of, I'm not sure what I want to do. Maybe you were at the beginning of your day, and, or maybe, you're, maybe it was the middle of the morning, and you said, what, what should I do? Let's see. Hmm. Uh, I think I'll go outside and play. And then maybe you start walking toward the door, and then you realize, wait a minute, maybe, I'm, maybe I need a snack first. I'll go into the kitchen. So you start, turn, you turn around, you start heading for the kitchen and to uh, get a, a healthy snack. Um, and, and then you go, 
No, well, well, you know what? I wonder what my brother is doing, or I wonder what my sister is doing. I think I'm going to go to his or her room and find out what they're doing first. And you just kind of, kind of keep changing your mind and not sure what you want to do. <clears throat> Does that happen to you? I know it's happened to me, <clears throat> and I'm pretty sure it's happened to each one of us here in this room at some time or another. Uh, actually, I have no doubt about that. Um, changing your mind a lot is, is, um, is a, another word for that is being fickle. Maybe that's a strange word to you, but I'm going to use it several times in this sermon, so you need to know it. It's somebody who just kind of changes, who doesn't really know what they want, and kind of changes their mind a lot, um, um, and isn't really satisfied with uh, making one decision and sticking with it. That's what it means to be fickle. And the truth is, kids, all of us tend to be fickle in a sinful way. Because we're sinners. And we're going to talk about that in this passage. Just to remind you of the background uh, here in Galatians of what's going on. Uh, the Galatians, uh, at the church in Galatia, in this region of Galatia, it was probably a number of churches, um, had eagerly embraced the message which Paul had previously proclaimed to them during his first visit to them. Um, that message, of course, that Paul preached was the gospel of our salvation uh, by faith uh, in Jesus Christ and in him alone for our salvation. We trust him and uh, trust wholly in him to save us from our sins, uh, from the punishment they deserve, and, and to reconcile us with God and to bring us uh, safely to heaven. And Paul preached that message which is the Christian gospel in a nutshell, uh, and they eagerly embraced, as collectively speaking, that message. Um, and by doing so, they had been freed from works religion, which every other religion in the world essentially is, is works religion, trying to earn your way into God's good graces or earn your way into heaven or earn your way into the hereafter or whatever it might be. And they were freed from uh, a form of, of works religion to which they undoubtedly held prior to becoming Christians or professing Christ. They had come to trust in Jesus alone for their right standing before God uh, and for their pardon. And they had, as a result of doing this, they had become uh, uh, people of the covenant, and they had become uh, sons and daughters of God, and they had learned to call God their father through, as a result of embracing the message of, of um, hope and truth that Paul had brought to them during his first visit. However, quite a number of the Galatians, it appears from what we read here uh, in this letter, were now, as Paul is writing this letter to them, were on the verge of abandoning their newly acquired spiritual freedom and sonship that they had in Christ. They were on the verge of abandoning that in order to re-enslave themselves, really, to the works religion all over again probably another version of it than they had originally had as pagans, but nonetheless a form of works religion. Uh, specifically, salvation by the salvation by works message that was being peddled by these Judaizers who called themselves believers in Jesus, but weren't. 
Those are the ones, by the way, who were referenced in verse 17 when it says, They eagerly seek you, meaning your attention, these Judaizers, these false teachers who are, who are trying to lure them away from the truth. They eagerly seek you, not commendably, in other words, not with right motives, but they wish to shut you out, meaning out of the kingdom, in order that you might seek them. In other words, it was all about, it was all about them gaining followers for themselves and, and getting people to embrace what they, their, their, uh, their shtick, if you will. Uh, and these Judaizers' message was a works-based message, uh, works salvation message. Uh, and it was a perversion of Judaism and some other things thrown in there, uh, a perverted form of Judaism, uh, and, uh, other other such stuff thrown in, and oh yeah, and Jesus uh, is in the, in the mix too. But he of course wasn't. But they would they would have said that the Judaizers would have. So Paul in this letter is doing everything within his power to through his what he's writing to them to prevent them from uh, embracing this false religion of the Judaizers and abandoning the uh, freeing message of the Christian gospel. And he does this over the course of his letter, and we've been looking at this, for those of you who uh, uh, have been hearing these uh, various uh, sermons as I've gone through Galatians. He does this first in Galatians 1 by reminding his audience, his readers, of his own, Paul's own repudiation of works religion that he once embraced in favor of the gospel of grace. That's in, ver- in chapters 1 through uh, chapter 2, verse 21. He also seeks to persuade them not to go where they were being tempted to go by appealing to them and their their own experience with the Holy Spirit. That they had received the Spirit not by works of, of the law, but by faith. He talks about this in chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 5. He also argues with his readers on the basis of biblical history. He speaks of specifically of the, the example of their spiritual forefather, Abraham, to whom they all looked as the the great uh, uh, the great uh, um, beginner of Judaism, if you will, or head of Judaism, and uh, he appeals to Abraham and God's dealings with him that they need to follow Abraham's example and trust in the seed of the woman that Abraham trusted in, who they now knew to be Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, and he also goes on further, and that's in verses 6 through 14 of chapter 3, and then in verses 15 of chapter 3 through 4, 7, he uses concepts and uh, ideas that were uh, familiar with his readers that were taken from the, the ancient world to help um, help them, help again, persuade them that they need to stick with what he had been preaching to them. Concepts such as the idea of what a human covenant is like and what it is not like. Laws of inheritance, he speaks of. He speaks of the contrast between slaves and free men. He speaks of the uh, the ancient uh, concept of adoption and how that worked in the ancient world, which was uh, uh, somewhat different from the way we uh, view adoption. But he used all these ideas that were drawn from everyday life to help them Make the right decision to stick with Paul's gospel and not uh, adopt another one. Or to repent if they had done so already. And now that brings us to where we are in chapter 4. As we examine Paul's pleadings to them here in chapter 4, the latter part of the chapter, uh, or the middle of the chapter I should say, we learn a couple more important truths 
um, that he was communicating to his uh, fickle readers um, and is also, we need to hear ourselves because we are like the Galatians. Uh, we, are com- we, co- we come out of the same stock, if you will, uh, Adam's stock. And thus, we are no different in many ways than they are. So, here are the the uh, the, the, the truths that um, that we're going to focus on, uh, the two headings, if you will, under which we're going to look at this in the remainder of our time. First of all, because of the fickleness of our own hearts, we must studiously avoid consideration of any other gospel other than the one Paul preached. That's kind of a long point, but... Let me repeat that. Because of the fickleness of our own hearts, we must studiously avoid consideration of any other gospel than the one Paul preached, or any other message, if you will. And secondly, and more briefly, because of the fickleness of our own hearts, we must make it our consuming passion to see Christ formed in us. Taking that from verse 19 of our text. But first, because of the fickleness of our own hearts, we must studiously avoid consideration of any other gospel than the one Paul preached. The fact that the human heart is fickle was evident from the behavior of the Galatians themselves. Professing Christians all, I might add. And a lot of them were Christians. Probably. And some of them undoubtedly were not. Uh, but uh, and needed to become Christians. But the fickleness of the human heart is quite evident in uh, the background here. So, uh, first of all, it's evident in two ways that I'm going to focus on. First, in the about face that they had in their attitude toward Paul. And secondly, it's evident in the about face that they had with respect uh, to the gospel itself. So first, their fickleness... And the fickleness of our heart, too, is evident in the Galatians' about face with respect to their attitude toward Paul. When Paul was first among him, among them on this first occasion, he says that, uh, verse 13, You know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. It was on account of a bodily illness. Paul, providentially on that occasion, was in a poor state of health uh, when he was among them. And it's, it's evident from a little reading between the lines here, but it's, it appears that he had some sort of a sickness or disease that made him rather difficult to look at, shall we say. Um, we don't know what it was. Perhaps there was swelling in his face. Uh, puffiness or something, perhaps perhaps he had some sores that were oozing or open or something. Uh, whatever this illness was, it disfigured him in some way that, uh, that made him um, uh, kind of scary to look at, or at least off-putting. It was kind of uh, hard to look at if you were looking at him. Um, in other words, it was something that would tend to repulse people who, who, he, who he saw or who saw him. That's the state that he was in when he first came to Galatia and preached among them. And 
Paul, uh, and again, it was rather, rather difficult to look at, but not for Paul's readers, not for the Galatians, not on the first occasion. When Paul was first among them, these folks, to whom he is now writing, embraced him with open arms. It's evident from what we read here. And, and, and that was in spite of the somewhat um, unpleasant appearance that he uh, had when they looked at him. In fact, they accorded him the same degree of enthusiasm. We learn in verse 14, they accorded him the same degree of enthusiasm and love and welcome that they would have lavished upon an angel or even the Lord Jesus himself had they, had he come to them. He says that in verse 14. Um, and that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe. Again, there's the uh, implication of, of, uh, whoa, I don't want to be near him. Uh, But then he goes on and says, but you received me as an angel of God. In fact, as Christ Jesus himself, he says. That was the reception that I first received from you on this first time when we met and when I proclaimed the gospel of truth and grace to you. They counted themselves blessed, verse 15 indicates, to have had Paul among them on that first occasion when he gave them the good news. In fact, verse 15 indicates that there was nothing that they wouldn't have done for him. He says there in verse 15, where then is that sense of blessing that you had? In other words, on that previous occasion when I was with you, you were felt blessed then. He goes, for I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Perhaps, perhaps his eyes were uh, infected and were you know difficult to look at because of the uh, production there, and he he says you would have you would have given me your own eyeball had you been able to do that. That's pretty serious commitment, right? Uh, pretty serious love for this man on that first occasion. On that first occasion, but what was their attitude now, as he's writing? It's not the same. It's not the same. Now, many of them see Paul as more of an enemy than as a beloved friend. Verse 16 makes that point. Have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? What's what's with this? Is what Paul is, in effect, saying. You are the same people, and yet... Now you're treating me this way. Now you're viewing me this way. When this was your attitude earlier, fickle. That's the first example, uh, illustration, or uh, evidence that these folks in the Galatian church or churches were fickle. And the second um, example of fickleness on their part was their, their view of the, of the message that Paul preached, the gospel. <clears throat> what had their attitude been when they... First heard that message, we learn from what Paul, uh, and I'll read it here in a moment, uh, back in chapter 3, that they joyfully embraced it. What wonderful news, they undoubtedly said. A Savior whom all we have to do is cling to Him and we are good with God. We are right with the God who made us and who before whom we will one day stand because of Jesus. Praise the Lord! Verse chapter 3, verse 
26 and 27 indicates that this was the case. Um, for, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That and other places indicate that they were filled with joy in, when they received Christ. Uh, that their, the differences amongst them were not, were not issues for Jesus, for God. God didn't care. All he cared was that they looked to the Savior. And they did. And, and they were freed and became sons of God. And obviously, uh, undoubtedly rejoiced in that and received that with great, um, with great enthusiasm. But that was then. Now, as Paul is writing... Things are quite different with respect to the gospel. That message that brought them great comfort and joy and uh, that made them sons of God and, and uh, that caused their, uh, their uh, uh, social and economic differences among them to melt away uh, before God, uh, all of a sudden that's not the case anymore. They don't really want to hear that message so much anymore. That message of salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. We're not quite, nah, we don't really want to hear that so much anymore. Unless it's tweaked. Our Judaizing friends over here, they've got some interesting things to say. Verse 16 makes this point. Again, have you therefore become your, have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? Because I'm telling you the truth, you don't like me? Because you don't like the truth is the point. What gives here, folks? They were giving serious consideration to a gospel, which of course, gospel means good news. It was not all good news. It was death, and a message of death, but they called it a gospel. They were giving serious consideration to a gospel that was diametrically opposed to the true one which they had already heard and embraced. Salvation, forgiveness, right standing before God has nothing to do with human effort and only to do with Jesus and what he did and our resting in that. And they don't want to hear it anymore. Many of them. Or at least some of them are reconsidering, perhaps. Perhaps they haven't taken the plunge yet into apostasy, but they're, they're, they're gazing over the cliff. Hmm. A fickle bunch, my point. And you and I, whether we want to admit it or not, have that same tendency to fickleness within us. To not be satisfied with the decisions we've made. To not be satisfied with the gospel that we've believed. To not, uh, to think, well, man, change is good. I like change. Let's go with some change. Well, maybe not. Oh, maybe, maybe. Folks, that's not godly. Fickleness, at least the, the variety uh, that Paul is criticizing amongst the Galatians and that the Holy Spirit might be criticizing amongst us, is not godly. The fact that the human heart is fickle is evident from behavior of other professing believers in the Bible. I'm going to give you a couple, few examples here. 
We're going to go back in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 32. Uh, you'll recall uh, there before Moses is coming down from the mountain, or he's up on the mountain, he's received the law, and the Lord tells him in verse 7 of chapter 40, uh, 32, rather, Exodus, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once for your people, interesting, not my people, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Think of all the things those Israelites saw that you and I would love to see, right? All those miracles, to witness that. They saw it all. Including the parting of the Red Sea, the destruction of the uh, Pharaoh's armies, the whole kit and caboodle. They saw it all. And then we read in verse 8, they have quickly turned aside, quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. You can almost hear the pain in God's voice there. Nehemiah chapter 9, similarly, another example of the church and the people of the church of old. Uh, changing their mind about their service to the Lord and their trust in the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 22 uh, through 28, reads as follows. This is in the midst of uh, uh, this uh, prayer that uh, Paul is uh, praying, not Paul, the Levites rather are praying. Uh, he says, It says, uh, But thou, the Lord there, thou didst also give them, Israel is the them there, kingdoms and peoples. Thou didst allot them to them, meaning the kingdoms and the peoples to them, as a boundary. He's, he's now reflecting back, they're reflecting back on Jewish history prior to this point in time. And they took possession of the land of Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, the king of Bashan. And thou didst Make their sons numerous as the stars of heaven, and thou didst bring them into the land which thou hadst told their fathers to enter and possess. So their sons entered and possessed the land. Thou didst subdue before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and thou didst give them into their hand with their kings and the people of the land to do with them as they desired. And they captured fortified cities and a fertile land, They took possession of houses full of every good thing, hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and reveled in thy great goodness. So there's the incredible blessings that God gave to them, uh, to the church of old. And then we read in verse 26, But they became disobedient and rebelled against thee, and cast thy law behind their backs, and killed thy prophets who had admonished them, so that they might return to thee. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore thou didst deliver them into the hand of their oppressors, who oppressed them. But when they cried to thee, so they cried to thee, Uh, In the time of their distress, thou didst hear from heaven, and according to thy great compassion, thou didst give them deliverers who delivered them from the hand of their oppressors. Then we read again in verse 28, but, there it is, the fickleness, but as soon as they had rest, they did evil again before thee. 
Therefore thou didst abandon them to the hand of their enemies, so that they ruled over them. When they cried again to thee, thou didst hear from heaven, and many times thou didst rescue them according to thy compassion. I'll stop there. You get the point, right? The church. And one more just for to cap it off in the New Testament. These are Jews. John chapter 6, verse 66. This is after um, Jesus had made that difficult statement about uh, uh, he who... Uh, um, where is it? He, uh, he who eats, verse 54 of John 6, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. That's figurative, of course, not literal. But they took it literally, offended them. And we read uh, down in verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Fickle. Sinfully fickle. And folks, our hearts are just as capable of being like that as theirs were. We are cut out of the same cloth. And if we think otherwise, we're kidding ourselves. We are kidding ourselves. Why are we so fickle, so prone to changing our minds, so prone uh, to uh, wanting change for change's sake? Because we want something, we're bored, or whatever it is. Why is that? For two reasons that I can think of. One, because lurking deep in the recesses of the Christian's heart is a part of him who still wants to be God. Who still wants to be first. Who still wants to rebel against God and put himself first, that chafes at the thought of having to submit to God's will and God's way. And that's still in each one of us here who are Christians. It's not that desire, that that, uh, rebellious desire, that idolatrous desire, is not the dominant attitude of the Christian's heart. So if you're a Christian, that is not the dominant attitude of your heart. And if it is, you're not a Christian, by the way. But if you're a Christian, it is not going to be the dominant attitude of your heart, but it is still there. And if it were not for the grace of the Holy Spirit at work within you as a Christian, it would immediately, that, that, uh, that rebellion against God, that idolatrous self-love, would immediately and permanently gain the upper hand in your life if God withdrew his grace. That's the first reason we are prone to be fickle and to change our minds and just want something new for news, uh, for news sake, uh, because it's new. And another reason closely related to it is because of our enormous capacity for self-deception. For self-deception. Our ability, that is, to persuade ourselves to be persuaded by the old man that I just spoke of, that something we once convinced was true and right and good is no longer so. 
Jeremiah says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And yes, we have a new heart as Christians, but that heart that is deceitful and sick is still, as I say, in a weakened form, still within us in the form of the old man. And because of this, we tend to be unstable, I'll put it that way. Sinfully unstable, uncommitted to that which we have previously determined is right and good and true by the grace of God. And it's because that is still possible within each of us, no matter how strong a Christian you are, that leads me to the, uh, the point that I, that I titled this first point, and that is we, you and I, we must all studiously avoid consideration of any gospel, quote-unquote, other than the one Paul and the other apostles, one can certainly put in there uh, as well, because it's the same message, that they preached because of that proneness to wander, as the hymn writer put it, our proneness to wander. This is why we, uh, who are your pastors, uh, the elders, are not ever going to, I think it is safe to say, I think I can speak on behalf of the other elders who are here and the one who is absent, uh, that we are never going to recommend that you read the writings of guys like Scott Hahn, Peter Lightheart, or N.T. Wright. If you don't know those names, don't worry about them. But if you do, we don't recommend you read such men. Now, that isn't to say that there might be a few valuable things in there. They happen upon valuable ideas that... Uh, that may actually be biblical here and there. But those men that I mentioned and many others are fundamentally unsound. Uh, and we don't need to waste our time nor tempt ourselves seeing what they say. I remember years ago, somebody to whom I gave a book written by somebody who was actually is a Christian, uh, but has some things has written some things that were, um, I think, profoundly unbiblical, in my view. Although they were subtle, in some ways. Anyway, I handed this book to somebody, thinking that the person was mature enough to see through the the errors of the book, and he read the book and was convinced that the author was right, and left our church. Some of you know who I'm talking about. It's a long time ago, so most of you don't. I'll never do that again. There's something very alluring, tantalizing about what's on the other side? What's behind the door? What does he have to say? A lot of people like him, or her. If you are not careful, you can get sucked into false teaching and actually 
believe it. That's what apostasy is. And you all know people who have committed, uh, most of you, I think, know people who have committed apostasy. We would encourage you to read books and listen to tapes and podcasts written or produced by reliably orthodox authors and speakers. Don't waste your time. Don't tempt yourself reading people who are aberrant in their theology. Seriously aberrant in their theology. That doesn't mean you can't read somebody who uh, maybe is wrong in a few areas, but it's not... uh, it's not. Uh, uh, it's something that good people disagree on. I'm not talking about that. Okay, so don't tempt yourself. Studiously avoid consideration of any other gospel, especially than the one found in the scriptures. And secondly, and briefly, because of the fickleness of our own hearts, we must make it our consuming passion to see Christ formed in us more and more to see Christ formed in us more and more. In Galatians uh, chapter 4, verse 19, Paul says, My children with whom I am again in labor, in other words, he was the first time in labor, now he's doing, he's again in labor, until Christ is formed in you. That is what Paul wanted to see in his readers. Christ formed in them. What that means, of course, is, Christ, they becoming Christ-like is what he means. That's, what it, that's obviously what the, the idea is. That they would become more like Jesus than they were. And that that's what you and I need, you see. We, never, we can never stop and rest on our spiritual laurels if somehow they were ours to begin with. We can't go, I've arrived at a place where I can kind of coast now spiritually because I know so much about the Bible or have so many verses memorized or am so good at theology or uh, you know, have attained uh, so many years under my belt as being a Christian that somehow that's good. I'm, I can coast now. No. No, there's more of you to belong to Christ than belongs to Christ present in you. And you're to be consumed with giving him more of yourself. To have your eyes fixed on him. Not just occasionally glancing at him, or, or more than occasionally, uh, fairly regularly glancing at him, but always looking at him, as it were, with your spiritual mind and eye. That you might become increasingly like him, morally speaking. That your thoughts, your words, your deeds might be more consistently holy as time goes on. That should be your goal, to become more holy than you are at present. Is that your goal? Is that your goal? Are you coasting? Or is that your goal? And it also not only means becoming more like Christ in terms of our moral character, but also in our thinking, the way we think. You and I are to have, as it were, his mind. Paul speaks of this, having the mind of Christ. To think, as Cornelius Van Til said, and he didn't always get everything right, but to think God's thoughts after him. Actually, that might have been, that might have been Augustine. Anyway, to think God's, it's a good thing. 
to think God's thoughts after him. We need to think like our Savior, who was God and is God. We need to uh, evaluate our surroundings, our circumstances, our world, our life through the lens of our Savior's mind. And when we do this, and when we, when it's our passion to be like Christ, the temptation to entertain another way of salvation is not going to be much of a temptation for you. But if you're not consumed with a desire to live for Christ and to live like Christ and to, and to have more of Christ or to be more, uh, yeah, to have Jesus have more of you is a better way to put that. Unless that is your consuming passion, unless that's your purpose for living to glorify God and enjoy Him forever and to see, by seeing Christ formed in you, You're, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You are, um, you're prey to your fickleness, to Satan. You're prey. You're in danger of being led astray and perhaps even into full-blown apostasy. It is our life is to be our life is to be lived for God's glory. Many passages. I'll just read you a couple uh, to uh, have Christ formed in us that point to that fact. Uh, Galatians, excuse me, rather uh, Romans uh, chapter eight verse twenty nine uh, says, "For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son." That's how you glorify God and enjoy Him forever. By the way. That's how you fulfill that that uh, uh, that first point of the shorter catechism is by being conformed to His image. Second Corinthians chapter three verse eighteen, we read this. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being here it is transformed into the same image, from glory to glory. That's what. The Christian life is all about is being transformed into that image uh, of our uh, of our Savior from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Uh, over in John chapter thirteen, verses uh, fourteen and fifteen, we read this: Paul, uh, Jesus speaking, uh, "If then, if I then, the Lord and the Teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet." In other words, imitating me. He says in verse fifteen, "For I gave you an example." that you also should do as I did to you. And that's not just true of uh, serving others, which is what feet washing was, uh, and humbling ourselves before others, but all, all the other things that he has given to us uh, to live for him. And then finally, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, we read uh, similarly the following. For you have uh, 321, no, 221, yeah, 221. Uh, for you have been called for this purpose. So here's why you were called, right? He's stating it right point blank. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, 
nor was, and we are to follow in that, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. You see, we are to follow Christ's example who committed no sin and in whose mouth there was no deceit. Uh, we are to die to the remaining sin within us and we are to live to righteousness. In other words, we are to be Christ-like. And that is to be our consuming desire. Is that yours? Or is it just one of many desires that you have in your life? In which case, it's not your consuming desire. The more our Savior gets a hold of us, the more Christ-like we become, and the less apt we will be to wander. To wander morally, to wander doctrinally, to wander spiritually. But we need to look to Christ, to fix our eyes on Christ. Do that this week and for the rest of your life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage that reminds us of that we all have feet of clay and uh, fickle hearts left to our own devices uh, without your intervention. Lord, it is a good reminder we need to properly see ourselves, not not um, uh, not view ourselves with uh, uh, in an unbiblical way that uh, that beats up on ourselves all the time and uh, hates ourselves. That's not uh, that's a perverted uh, thing. But Lord, also that we not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Uh, that somehow we are. Uh, um, uh, that, that you are blessed to have us as one of your followers. Lord, that is vile thinking. We are sinful dust, saved by grace. And now your children, praise the Lord. But we thank you that this is all these truths need to be kept in balance and that you have reminded us today that we are sinful dust, saved by grace. Uh, please help us to grow in Christ-likeness, Lord. Please form Jesus in us more than he is now formed in us. Would you please uh, purge from us that which remains of indwelling sin and cause us to live unto righteousness, Jesus' righteousness, the, the example that he set for us to do that more and more. And would you please help us to make very real and significant progress in that pursuit of holiness this week. And Lord, if there's anyone listening to my voice who has not yet uh, cast himself upon Christ and Christ alone to uh, be made right with you, to be forgiven of his sins, to um, have any hope of going to heaven at all, would you please cause such a one to be undone by what I have said, what you have said through your word in me, and to flee to the perfect one, the only keeper of your law, 
through whom alone we can be seen by you as law, law keepers, the Lord Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.